Hey, great that you've joined us here today uh, at City Point Church Redcliffe online, and uh, we pray that this message um, blesses you immensely. Uh, if you like, uh, please subscribe and like, and uh, share it with your friends. But today, uh, we just pray that this will bless you, and uh, it will bless your life in every single way. I love the Word of God, and obviously it's always such a privilege um, when you get to teach it and share it. Um, and I do more often than not find myself downstairs in kids um, doing the message. Uh, so yeah, a little bit different. They're probably a tougher crowd. Um, <laughs> kids are <laughs> quite honest and if you're boring they literally will just disengage. Um, they don't really know how to be polite about it but um, it's fine. It's all good. It really builds character. Um, so um, we are officially kind of like halfway through January, so well and truly rolling into the new year, which is great. Um, did anyone make New Year's resolutions? A few people. Okay. Well, statistically speaking, um, about 80% of you will have failed at them by mid-February. So um, <laughs> if, if you're going strong, congratulations to you. Um, if you've already started to kind of like... Mm, let that go a little bit. You're probably not going to make it, but um, <laughs> but that's that's okay. There is always next year. But I personally, or whatever, or pick it up later in the year. Whatever, whatever you want to do. Um, but I personally don't set um, New Year's resolutions um, just because I'm a more skeptical, cynical kind of person, and I won't really stick to something unless I'm truly, truly passionate about it. Um, but um, I do have something every year that kind of governs my year that I feel like Holy Spirit speaks to me about and it's usually a phrase or something. And so for last year, 2021, um, it was the year of living dangerously. Um, and no, like I did not go skydiving or bungee jumping or anything like that. Um, my, my living dangerously is probably like you're playing it safe. I'm not a risk taker. I'm a very calculated, measured kind of person. So um, yeah, not a risk taker. So to live dangerously um, probably looks a bit safer, but I did have to take some risks last year and um, I did have to really just kind of walk in faith and follow Holy Spirit's leading and actually at the beginning of last year um, my husband and I started a business and uh, it was really interesting because at the time when we were kind of were in conversations with people about starting this uh, everyone was sort of a bit like uh, like critical. Um, are you sure you want to start a business in the middle of a pandemic? Um, well I guess when else am I going to do it? Um, so um, people have a lot of opinions, right? But I am just so grateful um, for a husband who is not overly concerned with the opinion of men, but would much rather just trust the wisdom of God and, and his leading. And so that is how life is, though. Over-opinionated people everywhere, everywhere. Like, it can be chaotic, it is loud, um, and can be really overwhelming and hard to sort of discern what the truth actually is or what you actually should be doing or where you actually should be going because you just get bombarded with so many opinions. Um, and what I have um, found in my very short 25 years of living um, is that um, there are a lot of narratives out there in the world and um, you might think in terms of political narratives or whatever it might be, but um, narratives in the sense that stories that we 
believe about ourselves, stories that we tell others about ourselves, stories or, or narratives that kind of govern our life and what we believe about ourselves. And um, if, if you believe a narrative about your life that is true, that is great. But it can become problematic if you believe something about your life that is false, not actually true. And um, you might, it might actually be something, sometimes it can be really subconscious, we don't even know the things we kind of believe about our life, but it could be something like, well, my father was an alcoholic, so I'm probably going to be an alcoholic too. Or my mother got cancer, so it's likely I'll get cancer. Or I've always just struggled with mental health, so that's probably just my life. And sometimes we're just not even aware of what we're thinking. Um, we just don't kind of reflect on it um, until maybe someone points it out to us. And so I guess I just want to pose the question, what is the narrative of your life? And I actually want to give you a narrative to live by. It's a narrative that everything else just like flows out of. And so the title of my message tonight is called Pursuing the Redemptive Narrative. And um, we're in the theme of pursuit. And so really like, I guess what I want you to grasp tonight is that this is, the redemptive narrative is Jesus. And so this message is really the pursuit of Jesus. Um, and I've just given it a fancy abstract title um, <laughs> to make it sound better. Um, so um, let's just pray before we get into it. And then um, we're really going to look at um, some scripture and unpack what this looks like for our lives. So let's pray. Lord, I thank you that your Holy Spirit is here tonight, God. I thank you that you minister to hearts, Lord. I thank you that your word never, ever returns void, Lord, that you plant seeds in people's hearts, Lord, that you meet people where they're at, Lord, that you would reveal um, things to them that maybe they had not considered before, Lord. I thank you that you would help change hearts and minds, Lord, that they would be able to align their lives with the narrative of your redemption, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. So, um, we kind of just, I just touched on some um, unhelpful narratives. Um, other things like narratives of fear and condemnation and shame and guilt are absolutely not of God. And I have met so many people um, that kind of just come under that, narratives of guilt and shame. Um, and that's absolutely not of God. And so I just really would pray. And, and when I was driving here as well, um, I just feel like that can just be so strong in people's life. And so I just would pray that as we kind of journey through this tonight, that um, if you maybe have believed a lie or you have, have kind of lived with condemnation or shame or guilt of some sort, I just... I would really encourage you to kind of press in and, and allow God to just speak to your spirit tonight. And, and maybe, you know, he actually can break things off your life and, and do an incredible work. So um, the narrative that trumps all those things is obviously his redemptive narrative. Um, and there was um, a man named Jesus, who most of you would know, and he um, is God in the flesh. He came to earth and he died and was resurrected so that you um, actually could have the story of redemption. Um, and we're going to look at a particular uh, person in the Bible tonight 
whose journey with Jesus uh, just overflows with redemption. And we're talking about Peter. And so Peter was one of Jesus's uh, disciples. We know that he was really close to Jesus in his inner circle. But we first meet Peter, he's a fisherman. So we first meet him uh, fishing. And um, we're at the Sea of Galilee. If you have your Bibles, we're going to go to Luke uh, chapter 5, verse 1 to 11. It will be on the screen as well if you need that. So it says, One day as Jesus was preaching on the shore of the Sea of Galilee, great crowds pressed in on him to listen to the word of God. He noticed two empty boats at the water's edge, for the fishermen had left them and were washing their nets. Stepping into one of the boats, Jesus asked Simon, who was Peter, is Peter now, its owner, to push it out into the water. So he sat in the boat and taught the crowds from there. When he'd finished speaking, he said to Simon, now go out where it is deeper and let your nets down to catch some fish. Master, Simon replied, we worked hard, we worked hard all last night and didn't catch a thing. But if you say so, I'll let down the nets again. And this time, their nets were so full of fish, they began to tear. A shout for help brought their partners in the other boat, and soon the boats were filled with fish on the verge of sinking. When Simon Peter realized what had happened, he fell to his knees before Jesus and said, Oh Lord, please leave me, I'm such a sinful man. For he was awestruck by the number of fish they had caught, as were the others with him. His partners, James and John, the sons of Zebedee, were also amazed. Jesus replied to Simon, don't be afraid, from now on you'll be fishing for people. And as soon as they landed, they left everything to follow Jesus. Which makes a lot of logical sense when you think about it. Like, I'm going to go with the guy who can provide the miraculous catch of fish um, and who can multiply um, more than I even have. I'm going to leave everything and go with him. That's, that's where I would go, personally. Um, but I love this because Peter has such a radical encounter with Jesus. This is right. the first time Peter has met Jesus. And maybe you, um, like that is your story. Maybe you met Jesus in a really radical way. You had a really radical salvation moment. Or you might be like me and you were really blessed and privileged to grow up in a Christian home and you've just always known and loved Jesus. Um, either way, both of those scenarios involve you encountering Jesus and encountering his redemption. And so it's a story for all of us, actually. So when I read, when I read the Bible, I like to kind of read myself into it and imagine that I was there and think about what I would say or how I would react. And so tonight, as we read and follow Peter's journey, I would just encourage you to read yourself into this story. I think that in a lot of ways, we are Peter. We do have similar tendencies. We, do, we are all saved by grace, um, just like Peter was. Uh, but as we go on, you will kind of, I won't give it away for you, but we'll unpack it. Um, and so just keep in mind that you can relate to Peter. I think in a lot of ways, we're all him. And so... Um, I created a diagram for us because I'm a teacher and diagrams are helpful. Um, and at this point, I would show my class a diagram and they would say, will this be on the test? And I'll say, everything's on the test, um, just to kind of confuse them. But we um, are actually looking at here uh, the beginning of Peter's journey with Jesus. 
And it actually follows what we call a circular narrative. So um, I teach English and we would teach short story structure and a particular structure of writing is called a circular narrative. And basically what it is, this will be a massive fail if my diagram is not on the screen. <laughs> oh, thank you. <laughs> I mean, I could explain it, but it's really a lot easier if you see it. Um, a circular narrative is uh, basically just a story that ends where it begins. So it actually might end with the same setting that it begins in, or it might end with the same theme. There's something that kind of connects it to the beginning. Um, nevertheless, the main character always undergoes some kind of transformation, okay? Their life is left changed in some way in the circular journey that they um, embark on, okay? And so we begin at the Sea of Galilee, and Peter has met Jesus. I'm leaving everything. I'm going with him. He, he knows where the fish are, okay? And so then Peter walks with Jesus for probably around three years. We know that Jesus' ministry was um, about three years. And in that time, I imagine that Peter would have encountered some really crazy stuff. So he would have seen miracles. He would have seen blind people given sight, um, paralyzed people able to walk, uh, demon-possessed people, like demons cast out of people, people raised from the dead, all sorts of miracles. He, he would have, um, he would have seen like everything that, that Jesus did. And in fact, we know that in, in the book of John at the very end, it says that many more things than, than were recorded in the Gospels Jesus did, but we just wouldn't have enough paper in the world to record everything. So we know that a lot of stuff happened, and Peter would have been right at the forefront of a lot of it, and, and he walked so closely with Jesus. He would have, Jesus would have been teaching Peter. We know that Jesus taught his disciples how to pray. Uh, Peter would have had many parables. So he would have been right there with Jesus, in close proximity to Jesus, in intimacy with Jesus, um, a front row seat, essentially. Um, and as I said before, we know he was one of three in Jesus' inner circle. And so they were close. They were really tight. And then it kind of unravels a little bit when we get to the turning point of our narrative, where Peter really kind of stuffs up. Um, Jesus has been, well, he does. <laughs> um, Jesus has been arrested um, and is being questioned at the high priest's home. Um, Jesus is being accused of blasphemy and all sorts of things. And Peter follows Jesus and finds himself in the high priest's courtyard. And things get really heated as the crowds begin to accuse Jesus. Uh, and it brings us to the saddest part of the story where Peter actually denies knowing Jesus. Okay, we're going to go to Matthew 26, 69 to 79. And just read that. I just like scripture, so I just put lots of scripture in. Um, I'm not even going to apologize. But it says, Meanwhile, Peter was sitting outside in the courtyard. A servant girl came over and said to him, You were one of those with Jesus the Galilean. But Peter denied it in front of everyone. I don't know what you're talking about, he said. Later, out by the gate, another servant girl noticed him and said to those standing around her, This man... Was, Jesus, was with Jesus of Nazareth. Again, Peter denied it, this time with an oath. 
I don't even know the man, he said. So he's absolutely 100% denied him, denied knowing him. A little later, some of the other bystanders came over to Peter and said, you must be one of them. We can tell by your Galilean accent. Peter swore, a curse on me if I'm lying. I don't know the man. And immediately the rooster crowed. Suddenly Jesus' words flashed through Peter's mind. Before the rooster crows, you will deny three times that you even know me. And he went away weeping bitterly. And so he has walked with Jesus for three years. That's a significant amount of time. He knows Jesus. He loves Jesus. He has experienced Jesus and, and seen miracles and had those intense kind of encounters where you can't actually deny knowing Jesus, and yet he does. He denies knowing him at, at a crucial time, like when Jesus needed him. Um, not that he really could have done anything, but, you know, like the loyalty. And so he feels ashamed. He, it says he goes away, he walks away weeping bitterly. Um, and so I just imagine as we've reached our turning point in the story that um, Peter would be feeling such shame and such guilt over what has happened. And um, I just want to say as well, like, you actually may have believed a narrative if we're going to, if we're talking about this in terms of narrative and we're following Peter's narrative. Um, you may have believed a false narrative your whole life, but that actually isn't the end of the story, okay? And so for Peter, this was not the end of his journey. This was not the end of his story. It's not like now it's all over, he's denied Jesus and Jesus has died and um, he wants nothing to do with Peter in the afterlife or anything at all. It's not like that um, one bit, okay? And we'll see as we come full circle, so Jesus has died, and he's been resurrected, and we know that he's appeared to his disciples a couple of times already, um, and I believe this is the third time that he appears to his disciples. So we're going to go to John 21, um, verses 1 to 19, and Peter is brought into this really powerful and incredible redemptive moment with Jesus, and it's a redemptive moment that we can all actually claim for our lives. So, it says, Later, Jesus appeared again to the disciples beside the Sea of Galilee. This is how it happened. Several of the disciples, so we're already back at the Sea of Galilee, okay? Where we began, we've already been on this journey. Peter has um, stuffed up, but we're already back where we began. Several of the disciples were there. Simon, Peter, Thomas, Nathaniel, sons of Zebedee, and two other disciples. Simon Peter said, I'm going fishing. Because you would go fishing. <laughs> we'll come too, they all said. Um, so, and I kind of imagine that, I mean, I don't know, I wasn't there, but Jesus has died, been resurrected. I feel like they're probably all a bit like, oh, what do we do now? I guess we'll go back to fishing because that's what we were doing before. Um, so they went out in the boat and they caught nothing at all. Um, so all night, caught nothing. At dawn, Jesus was standing on the beach, but the disciples couldn't see who he was. He called out, Fellows, have you caught any fish? No, they replied. 
Then he said, throw out your net on the right-hand side of the boat and you'll get some. So they did, and they couldn't haul in the net because there were so many fish in it. And so the same miracle that Jesus performed when Peter first encountered him is the miracle that he performs here. Um, And what's kind of interesting is that it's not Peter who recognizes Jesus despite the fact that that miracle had already occurred. But we move on and it says, Then the disciple Jesus loved said to Peter, It's the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his tunic for he had stripped for work jumped into the water and headed to the shore. Other, the others stayed with the boat and pulled the loaded net to shore, for they were only about 100 yards from shore. When they got there, they found breakfast waiting for them, fish cooking over a charcoal fire and some bread. Bring some of the fish you've caught, Jesus said. So Simon Peter went aboard and dragged the net to shore. There were 153 large fish, and yet the net hadn't torn. Now come and have breakfast. Which is, I actually find incredible um, that Peter has denied Jesus. He's totally abandoned Jesus in his hour of need. And Jesus is kind enough to return to Jesus, uh, to Peter, sorry, perform the same miracle and then invite him to breakfast, then cook breakfast for him. And so none of the disciples dared to ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Then Jesus served them the bread and fish. This was the third time Jesus had appeared to his disciples since he'd been raised from the dead. And then we move into this beautiful, redemptive moment um, between Jesus and Peter. After breakfast, so Jesus has this one-on-one kind of moment with Peter. He asked him, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord. Peter replied, you know I love you. Then feed my lambs, Jesus told him. He repeated the question, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Yes, Lord, Peter said, you know I love you. Then take care of my sheep, Jesus said. A third time he asked him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt, naturally, that Jesus asked the question a third time. He said, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And Jesus again commissions him, then feed my sheep. And then when we kind of get to the end of the passage, Jesus says to him, follow me. Come and follow me, which was where we began, where it all began in the first place. Uh, Yes, you've made a mistake. Yes, it's gone wrong, but come and follow me. And I just want to unpack this fairly large section of scripture for a moment. I find it interesting that Peter and the disciples go fishing. They go back to what they know. They're not sure what's next for them. They just walked this incredible journey with Jesus. Um, They have seen incredible things. And Peter didn't really understand. He wasn't expecting Jesus to die. He thought this was his life set and this is where they were going Uh, forever. He was going to be Jesus' disciple and the Messiah had come. It was wonderful. Because we know that when Jesus... um, predicted his death. It was Peter who said, no, 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 stop talking about that. That's not going to happen. And then Jesus had to correct him. And so I don't think Peter really expected any of this. I think this came fairly left field for Peter. And he's left going, well, what do I do now? I guess I'll just go fishing. I guess I will go back to what I know. I'm a fisherman. I can do that. 
although it doesn't seem like a very good fisherman, I would just add. Um, I'll go back to what I know. And at this point, I think Peter would have felt overwhelmed with grief and guilt still. Um, he probably was struggling to make sense of the past three years. Um, and things had kind of changed so dramatically for him in this epic plot twist where Jesus dies and is risen from the dead. Um, and so he, the three years just it wouldn't have made sense to him. And I think that you've probably reached a stage in your life at some point where you felt like this. I don't know how to make sense of what just happened. Or I thought I was on a particular pathway and now I'm headed in a different direction. I thought my life would look like this, but it doesn't. And I had a plan and things changed. And so I think we've all been there. We were running with Jesus or whatever it might have been and things were going well. And then we're kind of left going, well, what do I do now? I guess I'll go fishing. And sometimes we can just feel like the rug has been ripped out from underneath us and we're not sure what to do. Have you ever felt like that? Yeah, because that's the journey of life, unfortunately. Um, but I, I felt like that. I so clearly remember being 20 years old. I mean, I've probably had a few moments like this in my life, but I so clearly remember being 20 years old and sitting um, in a doctor's office with my husband, who was my then fiance. And I remember the cancer diagnosis that was given to us. And I just remember thinking, what? What am I meant to do now? In fact, I think my um, first question was, oh, okay, so um, we're meant to be getting married in 10 months. Will he have hair? Like, what are we doing treatment-wise? And my husband, yeah, just kind of looks at me like, just be quiet. Um, but I remember the intensity of that moment. I remember just the, the weeping and the, the fear too. I know what the fear of death feels like. And it can be so consuming and so overwhelming. And um, at the time we were running a youth ministry and I was finishing up my degree and we were just engaged and so life was going pretty well. I was on a very clear path. Um, we were getting married and things were great and it was happy and joyous and we were in this real celebratory phase of life and then all of a sudden the rug just gets ripped out from underneath you and you're just left going, well, what am I meant to do now, God? Yeah. And it was really hard um, you know, like anything like that is quite hard and things were uncertain. Um, but through like the grace of God, like he just gets you through like he always does. And I'm grateful in so many ways for that experience. And I'll tell you like what I learned over the following two years. I learned what true and tried and tested faith looks like. And I learned what the absolute peace of God feels like. And I probably may have not experienced those things without that um, 
diagnosis or, or whatever it might be that kind of comes at you in life. And in this beautiful kind of redemptive narrative, for me, like in that moment, I could have chosen to allow the narrative of my life to be fear or death or something like that. But that's not the truth of the word of God. And we enter into this redemptive moment because like I'm talking about redemption because everything actually flows out of that. Okay, Jesus died and paid a price so you can actually have healing and freedom and grace and mercy and eternity with him. And if we just align ourselves with the redemptive narrative as this kind of governing banner over our lives, the rest just flows from there. Like it is the starting point. And so we've come full circle. Jesus has had this moment with Peter where he's, where he's given him like three opportunities to make up for denying him. He's kind of given him three opportunities to declare his love. And, and, and Peter does. But what's really interesting about this story is that Jesus reveals himself to his disciples by standing on the shore. Okay, he comes to them and then they recognize him. In the past, he'd actually come to them walking on water, if you remember that miracle. But this time, he actually requires of them, he requires of Peter to get to the shore, to come to him. We know Peter, in this sense of urgency, isn't even worried about the miraculous catch of fish. He just puts his tunic back on and he swims to shore in pursuit of Jesus because that's where he wants to be. And can I just say that if you find yourself in a scenario like Peter where the rug has just been ripped out from underneath you, things have gone from bad to worse and they haven't worked out the way you plan and you've gone fishing, the best thing for you to do would be to get to the shore with Jesus. The best thing for you to do is just to be in pursuit of Jesus. Because if you just stay with him, things have a way of working together for good. It's what he promises. And all of those things flow out of that. And so prior to this encounter with Jesus, those disciples were going home empty-handed. Prior to Jesus coming and meeting with them, they weren't going to have any fish. They'd already caught nothing. And I kind of think about this, like that's just redemption on redemption. Like it would be one thing for Jesus to go, hey, Peter, do you love me? Let's kind of make up and it's all good and I forgive you. But it's another thing to go, here's another miraculous catch of fish just to show you how much I love you and um, even though you don't even, you're not really even worthy, but I'm just going to give it to you anyway. Um, and so I love that. But I also just think it's one of those things, it's one of those stories you couldn't write yourself. And as an English teacher, I would like to think I'm a fairly decent writer, but even I couldn't craft a narrative for my life that would come close, like in comparison to the narrative that Jesus constructs for my life. Things would go wrong, I would reach a turning point and then I would go, oh, I don't even know what to do. How am I gonna make this better? I don't even know. But God, 
here's an author that you can trust. Here's someone you can trust as, as the author of your life. And if you, if you truly knew Jesus, if you truly knew the character of Jesus and who he was, you would never want to pursue anything else. You would never have your eyes fixed on anything else. You would never want to leave his grace. You would always just want to be in pursuit of him and his redemptive narrative. And can I just speak to your soul for a moment? Maybe you feel like Peter. You're out fishing. Things have gone wrong. It's not, it hasn't, life hasn't gone the way that you planned. Can I just tell you that, that God is, he is actually all-knowing, all-powerful, all-redeeming. He is all-loving. He is faithful. He is good. He is kind. He is gracious. He is the Redeemer. He is where your help comes from. He is the God above all things. He is over all things. He is sovereign. He actually will never, ever let you fail. He'll never let you down. He's the healer of sickness. He is compassionate. He is all of those things. He is actually everything, everything that you need at all times. And so Peter's story ends where it begins, and we actually get to claim that for our own lives. It ends at the Sea of Galilee where it first began with a miraculous catch, and then he commissions Peter to feed his sheep to build his church. And so it's the same for you and I. No matter what happens, no matter what goes wrong, no matter what we do, no matter what mistakes we make, if we're in pursuit of the redemptive narrative, that circular narrative just actually never runs out. He'll never ever get tired of forgiving you. He'll never get tired of redeeming you. You're always welcomed into his kingdom. And if we stay in that, and he commissions us and gives us purpose in that. That's the best kind of narrative you could have governing your life. A narrative of fear, condemnation, shame, guilt, whatever it might be, is not going to help you bear fruit in your life. In fact, it probably will do the opposite. But in the narrative of redemption, everything else flows out of that. It is fruitful. There is goodness. And so, in closing, what we're going to do is, um, I'm just going to pray, and I'm going to pray for those who maybe don't know Jesus, but I also am going to pray for another group of people. Um, And maybe that's you, feeling like Peter, feeling like you've gone fishing, feeling like you're not sure what's next for you. And I'm just going to pray that you actually would just have the courage to get out of the boat and just get to the shore and just be with Jesus, be in pursuit of Jesus and just actually allow him to, to guide you, allow him to show you where your next um, step is and also just to sit in his presence. Sometimes we have to just wait a little while. You're not always going to get the answer straight away. You just have to wait on him. So with every eye closed and every head bowed, Lord, I thank you for each and every person that you've brought here tonight, Lord, and for those maybe who are watching online as well, Lord. 
Lord, we just thank you for deliverance tonight. Lord, for those who maybe feel like something's just come at them left field, they're not sure what to do next, they weren't expecting it. I thank you, God, that you minister to them, Lord. I thank you, Lord, that you show them what's next. I thank you, Lord, that you commission them as you commission Peter. Lord, reveal yourself to them that they would know who you are, Lord. They would know your character. They would pursue you, Lord. Give them the courage to get to the shore. And God, I thank you tonight for those who maybe don't know you yet. Peter had a radical encounter where he met Jesus, a radical encounter where where he decided that he, he confessed that he was sinful, but he decided that he wanted nothing apart from Jesus. He left everything to follow Jesus. And so maybe you were at the beginning of that redemptive narrative where you haven't yet actually come to Jesus. And like Peter did, you might actually need to come and say, God, I have, I have nothing I'm going to leave it all behind, Lord. I just need your grace and your redemption. And I'm going to follow you. And that might actually be you tonight. And so if that's you, we always provide this opportunity in the service where you can actually acknowledge that if you feel that in your heart. You can raise your hand and and we'll connect with you after the service. So if you want to make that decision, today is the day of your salvation and you want to follow Jesus. You want to be like Peter, walking in that redemptive narrative. The narrative of your life is not meant to be shame. It is not meant to be guilt. It is not meant to be condemnation. It is not meant to be governed by what happened to your parents or your brother or your sister or whoever. It is not meant to be governed by anything like that at all. The narrative of your life is meant to be the narrative of redemption. You're meant to be in pursuit of Jesus and in love with him. And so if that's you tonight and you want to make that decision, I'm just going to ask you to just raise your hand so that I know who you are and there'll be some team who just will want to see if that's you so they can connect with you after and maybe give you a Bible and and that sort of thing. So I'm just going to count to three and then look from left to right and you just raise your hand. One, two, three. Jesus, we just thank you for who you are, Lord, that your redemption never runs out, God. Thank you, Lord, that you died for us, that you rose again, and that you're always just gracious enough to meet us where we're at, Lord. Lord, as we go into our week, I pray that you would just speak to hearts, remind us of your redemption, God, that's fresh, that's new, every day, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. If you did make that decision in your heart, we have a yes bar where you can um, head out. It's just to the left at the back there, and there'll be some team there who would be more than happy to chat with you if you even just maybe have questions about um, God or anything that we've talked about tonight. Um, Yeah, but that's it for me. Let's go. Thank you. (laughs)